What is up, guys? You're tuning into this Okiru podcast. I'm your co-host Jasper, and we thank you so much for spending this time with us. We hope you enjoy this episode. Make sure to follow us on our socials at Okiru Apparel on Instagram, Okiru on Facebook, Okiru on YouTube, and also Okiru on major platforms such as Spotify and Apple Music. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. We hope you enjoy. Alright guys, we ready? We ready for this podcast? Mm-hmm. We in Assembly Yoga. What's going on guys? We got... <laughs> Wait, I was like testing it out. Yeah, shout out, shout out shout Assembly. Out, shout out to Assembly Yoga for allowing us to be in this space today. We have our mate Lim and one of the most special people who that's so awkward no? <laughs> because she she can walk on water she's like she can walk she's like oh the female God. Jesus based on Lim but yes we have Azari she is a PhD in she is a PhD she has a PhD, PhD. in neuroscience she works in pharmaceutical and medical development she's a movement enthusiast please explain on that later um, teaches yoga and is a co-founder of We Run West, a community run group. Welcome to the Okiru podcast. Thank yes, you for ha- ha- having us here in this space and thank you for coming on. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Nice, nice. So guys, we just finished an amazing yoga session led by Azari. Um, you know, what was your experiences with that um, session? Like you said at the beginning, you had this plan and then all of a sudden, did you change that like in the moment or did you initially come here and then it's like, oh wait, I'm going to change this plan now? Um, I feel like I do that a lot. I had a plan last night mm-hmm. in terms of the flow that I wanted to do. Um, but I woke up this morning just not feeling it. Oh, so, <laughs> and it doesn't feel, for me, it doesn't feel right to teach something that I don't resonate with mm-hmm. if I've woken up the next day. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it was a more of a last-minute change of plan, mm-hmm. and it was it was told not to wing classes, <laughs> but yeah, I kind of like thinking of on my feet yeah. and doing different things and reading the room and seeing how mm-hmm. people are feeling on the day. Like if I come into the studio and everyone's lying down, I'm not going to do the class that I'd planned where people are doing handstands, you know, right. like. <laughs> yes. And so yeah, so it was more of a switch, a last-minute okay. switch. Cool. So was that like based on your past experiences or um, do you have a like a plan already through your classes and then you edit it and change it based on the room that you, you have? Yeah. So I generally, I usually have a theme, like mm-hmm. a neuroscience theme. Okay. And I tend to structure the class around that theme. Okay. Yeah. And for instance, today was about learning new things. And so it's just about throwing things in there that you may not have tried in a yoga class, like that balance we did in the figure four stretch. And so I always structure around that theme, but then the actual flow, even though I have a flow written down, I have a look at it and then I don't usually don't bring it with me Mm -hmm. because I like to be able to change it and adapt. And if I notice that people aren't like, aren't resonating with the things that I'm teaching, then I switch it up in the middle of the class. So I have a plan, but it's loose. Yeah. <laughs> How did you guys feel in the class? Roldy, was it your one of your first yoga classes? Yes, right? it was one of my first yoga classes. And to be open and vulnerable right now, <laughs> I actually, at the very beginning, I actually noticed myself getting very emotional 
Um, and I just felt like I wanted to cry at that time. And I was talking about this with Jasper when we were walking outside. And I was just saying, I, I think that vulnerability and that emotion came out because I noticed that a lot of this whole week I've been stressed out of my mind. And so when I came here, I felt that that easing. Like I needed, I needed this moment for myself. So, and yeah, the whole, like going through those motions and I felt, you know, yeah, I just needed it. And yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for that, that amazing mm. session because I felt the opposite at the very end when we were at the point of just relaxing and just breathing. I was getting emotional. I wanted to cry. Yeah. You just um, have these two guys crying in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I'm not going to cry. I'm just going to let this happen and just like suck it up. But yeah, it was, I think for me, I was, we, were, we were speaking about it before and I was telling Joe, like maybe I felt like I was not, I was hiding something or not accepting something that's happening. And just by relaxing and just being in that moment, for that time, I was like, what is these feelings? What are these thoughts that are coming to my mind? Like trying to come to understanding with it. And I was just like, oh man, like this was an amazing experience. I want to come back and yes. do more yoga. Even though I can't do like most of those moves and struggling <laughs> and shaking like the whole time. Um, coming from a lifting background, I felt yeah. so stiff. So, mm. but it was a good experience. It was a really good experience. It was. That's interesting yeah. that you mentioned that because Emma and I were talking about this earlier when we were getting coffee about um i don't remember how it started but we we're talking about how i view yoga like i don't view mm. yoga as the movement mm. that we're doing which is why a lot of the times my classes aren't serious in mm. a way and they're more playful and like not taking the asana so seriously because mm. it's such a small component of yoga mm. that i don't think it deserves as much attention as much seriousness yeah. and this is like my opinion and what i see yoga mm. as um and it's interesting that you mentioned like you both mentioned the emotional part of things i think in a yoga studio you don't when you're getting emotional you don't have the option of getting up and leaving well you do but mm. like it's a little bit rude and so you're kind of forced to sit with your emotions yeah. which is there's something nice about mm. that rather mm. than i'm feeling emotional i'm going to turn on the tv or put on some music yeah. yes so it's just it's amazing yeah. i love mm. that you shared that mm. thank you um at the very beginning of the yoga session you also mentioned like don't fear trying something new yes. i think it's really mm. good i had to remind <laughs> myself of that during the session I'm like man this really sucks like <laughs> my body's just shaking like everything kind of hurts like doing those movements but i was like I was reminded, I was like, oh, like, you're not going to be good at this. Yeah. Like, just sit in that, that pain, sit in that shitty feeling, <laughs> and then just push through it, you know, see what you can learn from it. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, I need to do more stretches. I think my hips are too tight. So I was like, all right, you know, doing these things might help, mm -hmm. right? Instead of just doing what I'm comfortable doing, even though it was painful at the beginning, like, I went from the, the suck period to it being comfortable, now I'm trying something new and it sucks. So now I have to work towards being that comfortable, you know, phase. Um, but, you know, coming back to this question, how, what got you into yoga? Have you always been into yoga since you were younger? Um, no. So I got into it, I think it's been 12, 13 years, something now. So my sister started first. Mm -hmm. um, 
and she went to the extreme, like moved to India, hmm. taught there, did her training wow. there, lived there for a couple of years, I think. I can't remember how many now. Um, and I don't know how she found it. Like she just came across it and just took it and went with it, like just mm-hmm. rolled with it. And I, my mum and I were hesitant to go because yeah. I was much more into like going to the gym, going for a run, like mm-hmm. all the active mm-hmm. lifestyle rather than like pulling back and softening. Mm-hmm. Um, and she kept for like for so long, she'd be like, come to a class with me, come to a class with me. I would never go to a class. And I went to one class with her and I was like, oh, this stuff is like, it's actually pretty fun. Like, I love this. And so I got into it. My mom was still hesitant. And then the year my grandma passed away, so my mom's mom, that's when mom started going to yoga. So my sister literally dragged her Mm. to a yoga studio and mom would not want to go and she'd fall asleep (laughs) and start snoring in the class. (laughs) And my sister's like, I'm never taking her again. Like she fell asleep. But, I mean, you're going through trauma, right? Like, you're going through stuff, and she was exhausted. And she kind of took on a similar thing. Like, she went to India, did her training, and she has, like, something like 500 hours of training under her belt, and she's done yoga nidra, and then she resigned from her job at Telstra and went down, like, massage, became a Reiki master teacher. Like, you know, that completely went down that pathway. And so... Yeah, that's a long um, answer to my entire family history of yoga, basically. <laughs> so when you first started practicing yoga, and I'm sure you were studying neuroscience already, mm. right? What realizations did you come to meet through the practice from that neuroscience background? Because yeah. I know, and, and we could all feel it come yeah. through in your yeah. classes as well. I had no connection then, mm. like nothing. And I was doing yoga for purely the movement yeah. aspect of things. And I was like, oh, cool, there's a place now where I can do a wheel because I do that as, <laughs> like just for fun and now there's a space for me to do it. Yeah. So that connection didn't happen until my teacher training, mm. which is only three years ago now, mm. I think. Um, and that was with Mel, who's the owner of Assembly, and Cecily. Um, and their big thing, and you might have had the same experience, Liam, where they really push you to find you in your teaching. Yeah. And they constantly, like every time I do a practice class, they'd be like, oh, that was great. Like, you know how to sequence well, you know how to instruct people well, but what's you? Like, mm. what's the part that lights you up that's you're not showing in your practice? And that's when I came across the neuro part. Oh, yeah. wow. So, so it was only recently. recent. Yeah. Wow. And it was... More to do with them, I think, pushing me to be like, what's the, per- like, what are mm. you teaching for? Mm. Um, and I just, I always love the idea of people knowing about their brain. Like, I feel like the more you know about it, the less you fight against it. Mm-hmm. And you're working more with it, if that makes right. any sense. The devil you know, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think that's what helps me. Mm. It's like, okay, that's just, it's how my brain is functioning. That's just how my brain is. Mm. And it's okay. Like, so I think it just, it helps you deal with things a different way Mm. when you know how it functions. Mm Mm-mm. Can you tell us about the physiological side? Because oh, I know that's... Oh, I thought it was going to get real scientific. I was like, oh, shit, this no. is recording. <laughs> no, no, because I see it. I've been to a lot of your classes already, and I find that the best way to, when I'm sharing the practice with, um, my community and, and all that as well as that physiological side and 
explaining to them to calm down that nervous system but i'd love to hear it from you because mm. i know your listeners can yeah take a lot away from it as well. yeah so i um borrowed that from andrew huberman mm. who talks about it a lot um so his lab in stanford and i believe um jack feldman who's another researcher at ucla mm. they do a lot of breathing work and they've done a lot of work on physiological size so they've measured this and they've shown that it reduces your heart rate but it also changed I want to say the electric, like the activity of the brain. So it kind of like brings you into this calming state. Mm -hmm. And largely it's because it, it slows down your heart rate. So it's going to make you a lot calmer. And so I think that's where I get most of my stuff from is like Huberman Lab podcast. <laughs> and they have this, like you can sign up to their newsletter and they send you protocols oh. as well, like breathing techniques and things to try, yeah. which for me is kind of cool as well because a lot of them translate to... Um, breathing practices and yoga and so you can mm -hmm. kind of see where the link is as like well but now there's a scientific backing to mm. that breath work and I love mm. that breath like I use it um, during runs when I notice my heart rate's going up so that's or during two workouts. breaths in one yeah. long exhale two inhales or one exhale and usually it's better to do it inhale through the nose and out through the mouth mm -hmm. um, yeah so it's like two sips of air in one long breath out and I think it's such a great tool to have for people, like especially in the moments where you feel like your heart's racing mm. and you're feeling anxious or just something doesn't feel right. It's just a quick way of like rounding down. Yeah. But if mm. you do too many, you can get lightheaded. Just <laughs> FYI. Just in case. Don't do it when you're driving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think it's cool. And Melissa tells me that it's when you're crying, you're sobbing. It's that... <laughs> Yeah, you do the gas naturally. It's naturally. It's your body oh, wanting to regulate you okay. to begin with. That's and it's just taking this and... Amplifying it, basically. And, and amplifying it and, and doing mm. it on your own accord mm. to modulate... And with intention yeah. to, to mod modulate your own body right. and mm. system. Your breathing would be so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool. It's so cool. Wow. Mm. That's amazing. Is there any other tools that you could share for like in terms of breathing to there's so many yeah. um so my eyes light up and i was like oh breathing <laughs> techniques um but one of my other favorites is box breath mm -hmm. so you might have heard of it it's like yeah. the you're essentially breathing into a box four count inhale hold the breath for four counts four count exhale hold the breath mm -hmm. at the bottom for four counts um and that's a really cool one because there's a lot of research on that as well so the navy seals use yeah. that as mm -hmm. a stress relief um, technique or breathing yeah. technique um, and it's good for the weeks that you feel like you know when you know stress is coming mm -hmm. in the week and so it's a great one to do every day for just a couple of minutes a day yeah. and I love that one I notice a difference with how I am during the week if I use that breath mm -hmm. um, that's a big one and then the one we did today the three-part breath in yeah. um, and then the one breath out so that's kind of like working with lung capacity and really breathing at your full capacity. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of really cool ones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're a runner. Um, when Gerald and I were doing those running challenges, challenges initially, because we don't run, it was like <laughs> so <laughs> shitty at the beginning. Like 5Ks yeah. was so hard. Wait, and what like, are these running challenges? So there's one in, I think it was in July, where it was like run 100Ks in that month. Oh, in like Holy 20, 20 Yeah, yeah. Um, so initially it was like five kilometers and it, I got to a point where I was like running 10 to 
twelve k's like regularly, but in that month, in that month, in, that in month. a month. So yeah. it was initially for like a week. That's impressive. One five k's was hard, and then I did seven k's. Like, oh my god, this is amazing! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you reflect, and it's like, how did I get from five to seven k's? And a lot of it was that breathing. Mm. Um, so, do you have any techniques for breathing when you're running? So, apart from the physiological side, which I use, mm. and that kind of depends on like. If you're running with a watch and you can see your heart rate and you can see your heart rate fluctuating Mm -hmm. um, and you can see the threshold that you're running with. But I feel like that's probably the only one that I use with running apart from nasal breathing. And Mm -hmm. now I'm just so hesitant to say nasal breathing because it's like this thing that's like taken off and everyone's like nasal breathing, nasal breathing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, apart from those two things, Mm -hmm. like breathing in and out through the nose, doing physical, uh, physical, physiological size to calm down, to like to bring down my heart rate. Um, They're probably the only ones I would say. Yeah. Mm. I feel like there's, there's a lot of things that you actually do. So you have, you got the neuroscience, you got. Yeah. I just realized that after I said it. (laughs) The running, walking on water. I hope no one takes that seriously. <laughs> Guys, what? I cannot walk on water. She runs on water. She, she, <laughs> sorry, yeah, she runs on water. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so you have a lot of these these um, passions. So what was the natural progression? Did you do running first? And mm. how did you find these? Um, I blame my parents because I think <laughs> they didn't want to parent and they put us, sorry, mom and dad. Um, they put us into like a whole bunch of activities. Mm. So when my sister and I were growing up, they signed us up for like tennis, taekwondo, surf lifesaving, swimming. And there wasn't, I don't remember there ever being a day during the week where we were home sitting on the couch mm. on an afternoon. Mm. Like Sundays, surf lifesaving the whole day. Wow. Saturday, tennis in the morning and then school during the week. But then like taekwondo in the evening, like there was just always something. Mm. And I think I was hooked onto movement mm. from then and it's just always been in my life. What I did changed as I grew older, which happens as you grow older. Mm. Um, but running's always been in my life. So I did um, athletics when I was growing up and did like short distances. And then I probably really got into it um, when I moved to Seattle for work for a couple of years and joined this running group, which they were just running obsessed. <laughs> and I just fell into that little trap mm-hmm. the running trap and i just kept rolling with it so mm-hmm. and the yoga like came in mm-hmm. later so i think yeah i i love movement and so all of these things are just coming in and out and i'm surfing again now like with a friend so i feel like yeah there's just i just love moving and so yeah. <laughs> if i don't move i'm not in a good headspace wow. so there's yeah. a lot more to just the walking on water yeah. <laughs> she's not jesus now she's not <laughs> So, so what is it about the running that is really appealing to you that kind of stuck with you? Yeah, so I think, I mean, with different parts of my life, it serves a different purpose. So mm. when I was younger, I did it just to get the medals and I wanted the age champion trophy, which I have now a collection of, which means nothing. Um, but before it used to be about competition mm-hmm. and right up until undergrad, it was all competition. Um But now I see it more as a community thing and more as something that like it's the only thing that clears my head. Mm -hmm. And I think because I run to the point where I'm exhausted, but not in a bad way. 
like exhausted to the point where my brain just doesn't want to work anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's just, that sounds really weird, but I like getting to the point where my brain just shuts down. <laughs> like shuts down in a good way. To the point where I'm like, I'm not thinking about like, oh, I didn't do that spreadsheet at work. Oh, I didn't do yeah, this at work. Oh, I said this to someone. I wonder how it was received. You know, like. So you get into the body to get out of the mind. Yeah, exactly. And it gets me to the state of like my brain just switches off and it's like the zen state. And I'm the happiest when I've run, like post-run. It's Mm. just I feel like I get a little high. So maybe yeah. I'm addicted to endorphins. I don't know. Yeah, you could <laughs> drink, take drugs, yeah. or you can just yeah. go for a run. I just run. <laughs> run, run, run. Exactly. That's the run is high. That you're, yeah, that you're exactly. Mm. Okay. And that's the point of exhaustion, like completely. <laughs> I was going to say brain dead. Like you would know it from gym sessions, right? Yes. Like yes. I go to the gym and sometimes I'm just, I'm out. Mm. Like mm. my body feels amazing and sore. But my head's like at this flatline mm. state. Yes, yes. Until I have coffee. And then it's like a little spike. Yes. So how do you fit all this in your week? Like you do running, you do yoga, you walk on water. You <laughs> like, like, you like to push the walk on water. <laughs> yeah, you do your job. I only walk, you... on, walk on water on um, Sundays. Oh, <laughs> only on Sundays. Only on Sundays. <laughs> Where can we find you? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, Beach. Yeah, that's right. Um... I don't know how I do it. I think because I think when you love doing the things that you're doing, mm. like if everything in your life are things that you love, mm. then it's easier to balance them, right? Like mm. nothing feels like an effort right now mm. because I love teaching yoga. I love running. I love my job most days. <laughs> and so they're all things that I love doing. Yeah. And so I mm. fit them in and they flow. Mm. And this was a perfect example of like I dropped – something last year that wasn't working for me and that was kind of stopping that flow and Mm. I know my mom always says this that if you're doing the things that you don't love doing you're occupying that space for the things that you do love doing yes Mm. and it's holding like even though you don't think about it it could be just an hour in a week but that's still taking up a bit of space Mm. and so I think it yeah I think it works because I just love doing how long did it take you to realize hey I need to drop this thing and then you're still doing it right until eventually dropping it because we go through life wanting to pick up activities yeah. and hobbies mm. and and spreading ourselves thin yeah. but mm. making that call to drop it mm-hmm. and then relieving that burden off of you because i guess deep down you know what you need to do right mm. but to make that decision how'd you go about that um this is a plug for meditation uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> please come to assembly yoga <laughs> um no but i think that's a big part of it like I think my meditation is a big part of it. And mm. I don't meditate every day. Like, it drops off. Mm. Um, and when it does drop off and I'm upset, mom's like, have you meditated today? I'm like, stop asking me that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's a big part of it. Like, mm. I think it's moments you're not going to know what to drop if your mind is constantly at a state of busyness, mm. right? Constantly at a state of chattering. You only notice things when things are quiet. And it's the same as, like, when emotions come up when you're quiet. And I feel like that's the moment, the quiet moments where I figure out what I want in my life and the Mm. things that I don't want. And I think the things that I drop comes down to my values. So Mm. now I'm at the point where if things don't align with my values, they don't serve a purpose in my life. Mm. And so it's easier for me to drop them and Mm. let that go. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like I'm thinking of assembly yoga in a sense at the moment because I never wanted to teach yoga and I no, had no intention of teaching mm-hmm. yoga. I feel like that's what everyone says when they like, <laughs> train, but I genuinely did not want to teach. Um, but I got offered a cover class and then another cover class and then a permanent class mm-hmm. and then another permanent class. Like it just kind of rolled. Yeah. But I love this space because it meets all my values. And it's a space where I'm teaching, like I love teaching yoga to a diverse group of people Mm. and in a place where there is diversity Mm -hmm. because I'm someone of color. And so I want to be surrounded by people of color and have it, have yoga be accessible to people like Mm. me, if that Mm. makes sense. So I feel like that kind of matches with like what I want to do in my life. And mm. that's the same with the run group. It's in the West. And I think there's so much diversity in the West as mm. well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's easier for me to drop things that don't align with the things that I want to see in the world. Yeah. Mm. But there are barriers to walking into a yoga studio as well. Cause it, I guess as a young male, it feels like it feels like mm. it's out of reach. Like, how is it for you? Like walking into a studio I think it's for the first time, like, cause you inv- I invited you to my yeah, class, yeah. right? And it was just, just this place. But how did you feel? And I don't know, Roddy, you didn't make it, but mm-hmm. what were there barriers in coming into a yoga studio itself? I, yeah, just because it's it's a new space mm-hmm. and I wasn't too familiar with it. Just entering it, you're just like, oh, what is it gonna be like? You know, who are the, what are they gonna how are they gonna treat me? Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess those little things play on your mind. And so when I was coming here for the first time, I guess I had those thoughts coming through. But once I kind of walked in and I felt the Zen, like it was very peaceful and calm. (laughs) So it was very easy. But like once I'm in here, it was very easy just to feel very comfortable in the space. But yeah, beforehand, it's just all the thoughts that come into mind. Like, oh, a guy doing yoga. You know, am I gonna? Are they gonna think I'm, like, you know, just uh, <laughs> with something weird? Or something <laughs> like that, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, just judgments. Yeah, yeah. no, nah, I understand that. Like, I think for me, if it was me a couple of years back, I'd be like, oh, what the fuck, what am I doing? Everyone's gonna look at me and judge me. I'm not doing the movements right. Mm-hmm. But if you get like where I'm at now, where it's at a point where I'm not caring too much about what people think, because everyone would have had to walk into a yoga studio mm-hmm. for the first time too. Mm-hmm. So it's going that with that mindset, like. Hey, like, yeah. people aren't here to judge me. They're here to do this session. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's my first time as well. So if I can't do something, I'll have to more, do more sessions and learn to get better at it. Yes. Right. Mm. And it's removing that own judgment of myself. Like, oh, just because people can do this movement and I can't doesn't mean I'm worse off. Mm. Right. It's about, like, how can I learn to be better and just re- detaching myself from the opinions of others and just focusing on what I can do with my body and knowing what my limitations are, right? Mm. That's how I can, how can I, I can grow from this. Mm. Um, but you know, it's, it's like what you're saying, it's kind of this peace here, you know, mm. this, even though you can hear the, the sounds of the cars moving, you're just in this peaceful space. Like it's a I'm, safe place. Like eh? a safe place, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what it feels like. It's very comforting. Mm. But then you just go out in the world and say, ah, oh, like, it's re- we're back to reality. Like there was a one point where um, near the end, I was just so relaxed. I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm like dreaming. Like, <laughs> like, is this even real life? I'm like, oh wait, it is. And then you hear the voice, like, oh, just like you, you, your thoughts, like just come back. 
to the, the breath. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. I forgot to breathe. I just let it flow and just come back to it. I was like, all right, now I'm, I'm back to reality, you know, mm-hmm. just bring it back. And how did it feel practicing in a space with other people? What did, how did the environment work, work for you both? I think it really helped. Yeah. It just, for me, I don't like being the center of attention. <laughs> <laughs> so having those people around is just like, okay. I, and also because I can kind of see what other people are doing. Because <laughs> a lot true. of the times I'm just like, uh, wait, am I supposed to do this? <laughs> and I open Why my eyes. Why is everyone lying down? My hips are still up. Yeah, so it felt very, yeah, it was easy having those people around and then just having the other people's energy around you as well because you can feel their calm and especially when when you say like, uh, you know, breathe in and breathe, and you can hear other people's breath for some reason for me, it's calming. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh. oh yeah, it reminds look. you to breathe. I yeah, think it too. does. Yeah. So yeah, it was like, yeah. it was really nice. Yeah. I liked how you, um, during, there was that one part where you're like, oh, I look beside you and just give them a smile. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, everyone's a friendly person. Yeah. You know? It's just like, no, yeah. sorry. That always astounds me. Like I know I've walked into classes before. I haven't spoken to anybody mm-hmm. and I've just gone in, done my practice, left. And I'm like, what am I here for? I could have done that at home. Yeah. And it's just, I love that intro to like say hi to people and notice the people who you're sitting next to. Cause that's mm. another human being. Mm. Like, yes. That's mm. another person next to you that you just did not acknowledge when you walked into the yeah. studio. Yeah. And the whole point of coming to practice here is the community, right? Yeah. Like, mm. Otherwise, you'd sit at home and do it Insta-yoga. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's true. That's what surprises me a lot about yoga and, and practicing in the studio is when you end the class, everyone just scrambles to leave for some reason to pack up their stuff, yeah. wash the mats and, and out the door yeah. and like, two minutes yeah and and i'm you'll see me i'll be like just sitting i'm, here, the, just, loiterer. I'm <laughs> the loiterer i'll hang back i'll take my sweet ass time just so i could like marinate in the goodness that yeah. i've cultivated and created in yeah. myself mm. as well over the hour or mm. yeah. yeah yeah i did see you and for some reason, I love wind, the element of wind, right? When you're sitting there and it's just in the chaos mm. of it all. Sitting at the end of a yoga class when everyone's running and scrambling, it's just like, it feels like sitting in the wind and just watching it all go by. For some reason, my head went to like passing wind. I <laughs> <laughs> like wind so much. It must be that bagel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hold it in. <laughs> Don't, don't do it in the front of the <laughs> mic, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to bring it back to something that you said before about almost not want, wanting to do uh, teaching yoga. What, what was the reason and how did, it, how did you overcome that feeling of not wanting to do mm-hmm. it? So I actually wrote an article on this um, mm-hmm. for a friend of mine, uh, Alexis, who is a meditation teacher. Like I just give her a little plug. Um, <laughs> she's amazing, but she. I read an article for her blog about, and that was like we we're talking about vulnerability earlier. That was that article was a big vulnerability moment for me. I sent it to her, 
and she posted it and the next day I was like shit people are going to read this and they will know <laughs> um but I don't I don't I say I don't love teaching yoga but not in a not in a bad way I don't think anything's good or bad but I don't wake up feeling excited about teaching a class you know like the same type mm. of joy that I'd get maybe if I get up to go running or go to do something cool at my job I don't have that same excitement on mm. my teaching days mm-hmm. and it took me a while to figure out why I was feeling that and I realized what I love about teaching has nothing to do with the teaching itself like I'm the same I don't like being the center of attention and so that's why I get everybody to close their eyes down in the beginning when I'm talking about like, please don't stare at me which sucks like going through my PhD because I do conferences and there'd be so many eyes on me and I just don't like people staring at me like that many people just looking at me so anyway so I don't love the actual act of teaching but everything that i get out of teaching is just like fills my cup mm-hmm. and so i love being around people like i love hanging out with people and just meeting a new person every day like learning mm. something new about somebody yeah. random mm-hmm. and i think it makes you appreciate things a lot more like knowing what other people are going through yeah. mm-hmm. and there's this moment of connection in teaching that i don't get anywhere else Like the, if I didn't teach anymore, I think there'd be a little hole in my life in terms of community and connection. Mm-hmm. And that's my main reason for teaching. So I love the beginning of a class and the end of a class. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm chatting to people and people are walking out, mm-hmm. whether they feel great or they felt crap at the end of the practice. Like I think that has not so much to do with my teaching and me, but what they're going through in their life too. So yeah, so I don't I don't love the actual act of teaching, but I love everything else about it. Mm-hmm. That's like me with running when we done that 100 kilometer thing. I realized I hate running. It's, <laughs> it, sucks. it sucks, but then at the end it you're like suck. this feels amazing. Yeah. Like, I love the outcome of running. I hate the process, process of yeah. doing it. Yeah. Freaking sucks, man. <laughs> I remember that one time, the one the first time I did 7k straight I I felt so shitty after work my knees were all fucked up and I was like man I gotta do this 7k's and I just did it and just having that mindset like all right just keep going like keep pushing one step at a time I was like you know what it's not too bad and you get to the end and you're like sprinting I'm like holy shit like this was amazing like my I just feel like if I didn't go on this run I would have been worse off right mm-hmm. um you you spoke about you don't want to be the center of attention but you do you speak in conferences how do you overcome that feeling before stepping on stage i think you just do it yeah. like i didn't really have a choice during my phd or when i did a postdoc mm-hmm. if you want to get further in your career you need to go to conferences and present your work right mm-hmm. like that's the whole point of sitting in a dark lab for hours <laughs> doing research <laughs> and then not telling anybody about it just got to defeat the purpose yeah um So you get forced to do it. And not that I don't love it. Like I love talking in front of people and I mm. get a little like high from it. And I also love the fear associated with it. I don't know if that's part of a psychological right. problem, but <laughs> I do love things that induce that little bit of fear in me. Yeah. Like things mm. that make my heart race of mm. like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it, but I do it. Mm. Um, and that's how I see public speaking. Like I don't enjoy the moment, but just doing it Mm. and the end of it mm. is the parts that i love yeah. i just realized yeah. i love the beginning and ending of all things <laughs> nothing in the middle um yeah mm. 
I think okay. that's what it is. Awesome. Yeah, it's interesting because we'll we'll taking our seats here today, and then I'll I'll let you go first just to see what kind of move you'd take, and it's just like to the side. Yeah, because that middle is like right in front of the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of like, oh, where should I sit? I was like looking at the side. <laughs> yeah. I sitting there. I was like, okay. I want to sit at the end, man. Yeah. <laughs> I do it all the podcasts. I'm on the end. So. Yeah. You gotta stick to the consistency, man. Consistency. Yeah, that's true. I didn't realize it was a psychological test. <laughs> Liam's running his own psychological test. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of challenges, actually, Lim, you're doing a swimming challenge oh, at the moment, it, right? Yeah, oh, I just completed it. So, like you guys, in in doing running, I'm not much of a swimmer, mm-hmm. right? But I'll call myself a swimmer now because it's doing the act of swimming. So I'm a swimmer. And, and answer, we've had this discussion when, when I said... That's why I gave you the look and I was like, are you going to call yourself a swimmer? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, when learning to run, you're like, oh, I don't run. I'm not a runner. But when you're doing the act, you are a runner. Right? Mm. But my swimming challenge, um, I'm proud to say that I raised $2,500 for the Starlight oh, Foundation. That's awesome. That's good. And that's the power. What I've learned is the power of putting yourself out there, of asking, Mm. of giving something new a a chance and a shot of challenging yourself. Because Mm. I was only planning to swim 5Ks and it turned out, oh, I could probably do more. So I'm like, all right, the the default max was um, 14K. Mm. So I'm like, I'll give that a crack, Mm. right? And, And it was about taking my friends and people on the journey with me and highlighting hey i'm at the beach every day swimming Mm -hmm. and i think people bought into that but i'm very happy to see that i've I've Mm. brought my community brought my friends and family together to Mm. do some good for the world in a time where you look around and there's Mm. a lot of things that suck yeah definitely yeah i think um just saying that there's a one just notice and realizes because there was a purpose behind that running or swimming, you were able to do the act. If there was no purpose behind mm. it, it'd be so much harder. Yeah. Right? And there's also one thing you also said that I just recently learned is we're so afraid of doing is asking. Mm. Like just by asking, you never know what the answer would be. We're always making assumptions. And I just read a book recently called The Power uh, Influences Your Superpower. And it was talking about how people fear asking but when there was a purpose behind what they were asking people were more um, inclined to help them out so there was this the person who wrote it she she's like a uh, i forgot what she she teaches but she's like a lecturer and she got her students to do a project like they started off with a paper clip and they had to try trade that paper clip in to see what they can get out of it and once a pair of students were able to change that paper clip for a car somehow Mm -hmm. But they were able to do that because there was a purpose behind the, the what they wanted it for. So the purpose was they wanted to give that car away to someone uh, who was a refugee. And the person who was at the car dealership was like, yes, I want to help you. But they wouldn't have gotten that answer mm. if they didn't ask for it. Mm. But because there was that purpose behind it, people want to be part of that, mm. you know, want to be a part of something greater than themselves. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So I guess coming to that, like, what do you guys believe is your purpose? Mm. I'll 
gosh. Getting to the <laughs> deep stuff now. Yeah. Nitty gritty. <laughs> We're getting down deep. <laughs> down deep. I just into looked the at Liam and I was like, I didn't see <laughs> <laughs> No, I've had a, a, a lot of time to think about this purely through COVID, through writing and, and journaling practices, right? I feel there are three things that I'm working towards and I want to work in the nexus of these three things. And they are working in tech and my background in IT and using the internet and, and digital media to scale impact. The second is yoga and meditation. It's the practice that has done so much for me to open me up, to allow me to soften in the world that makes you so hard and masculine and really achievement-based, right? And the third is the work that I want to do more into the community as well, because like yourself, Anzari, I really value and cherish the the spectrum of multiculturalism in Australia, mm. right? We all have such rich stories of, of our families getting here and, and struggling and the trauma that we all hold collectively by our parents taking a risk to search for a new life or, or better circumstances, right? So if I can somehow join all three of them together, which I'm taking baby steps towards, then then that's where, for me, work becomes play. Mm. Where, like, Anzari, it's, like, effortless and you flow, mm. right? It's it's not like, oh, you wrap up at, like, 5 p.m. or 7 p.m. after a long day at work. It's you take a break and you could probably continue because it's, like, play for you. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Sounds like building an empire. <laughs> <laughs> really building it. Yeah. <laughs> Behind the scenes. Look at that smile, man. <laughs> that smile. So like that's when you need the evil laugh. <laughs> what about you, Anzuri? Um, mine's. I feel like comes down to one small, like one main thing, and I think that's. It's the reason why I did my PhD. It's the reason why I'm research. Reason why I teach yoga. Why I started the run group. That kind of stuff. And I've always had this like want to help people and to, I know I'm not going to be able to help everybody, that's impossible, but just to make some some sort of a difference in people's lives, whether it's through medical research and helping advance medical treatments, whether it's yoga. And I just did my Reiki 2 training with my mom, so I have that on my background now too. And I just hope that, like, I just want to be part of things and projects that are going to help people with their lives. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go through my life just living my life and just, I mean, it's fun to go out and live my life and party and do all yeah. of those things, but it doesn't fill my cup. Mm-hmm. And I feel mm-hmm. like the things that bring me joy are the things that help other people yeah. and change people's lives yeah. for the better. Mm-hmm. When yeah. did you know you wanted to do that? I think I've known that from very early on. So I wanted to go to med school since I was 10. Oh, wow. Um, but that's also like, I grew up in an Indian family. You're either a lawyer or a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so let's not get too carried away with yeah. that as in like thinking I'm the smart 10-year-old. Um, but I remember like mom used to tell us 
um, this story of my sister and I, my sister's the same, of we, when we first moved to Australia, I think it was, we saw a homeless person on the street, but I think he had, didn't have a limb or something. And mom said we both started crying, like my sister and I started crying, and we were upset the whole day of this guy not having a house and not having a limb. And so I think that was always there early on. And we grew up, like my sister and I grew up in Fiji, where there's still a lot of suffering. Like we live down the road from an orphanage and there's a lot of kids there that don't have homes. And so whenever we had parties and things, dad would always give food, like take food over to the orphanage or invite people over. And so I think I've always had that in my family, like... I remember when I got my first job, mom's like, don't forget to donate part of your first paycheck. Mm-hmm. Like as a, not even that they, you need a reason to do it and she didn't even explain it. It was just, we always donate our first paycheck from the mm-hmm. first job. And so, yeah, so I think I kind of just grew up with the, you live by helping others yeah. situation. Mm-hmm. Was, was your mom a big part of that? Yeah, mm-hmm. they have, they've always been. Mm-hmm. Um, they're big on believing that the more you give, the more you get in return, mm-hmm. like the more abundance you have. And I think they're the perfect example of that as well. Like mm. they're always giving yeah. and not to the point of like wanting just to get something in return or yeah. they just genuinely just love it. Mm-hmm. Like if you come to my house, you don't even need to, think about whether the lunch is going to be there or the dinner. Like you will get fed Mm -hmm. to the point where you can't walk out of the house. Like, and it's more about them showing love. Like I realized that that's their version of showing love Mm -hmm. is like, how can I help you? And it goes overboard sometimes. Like I showed dad this side table that I wanted, not saying make it for me. Like this is the one that I'm looking at. And he made it for me. And Mm. it wasn't exactly what I wanted. (laughs) so now we kind of, I hope he doesn't listen to this, <laughs> but now we don't tell him when we want certain things because he will do it. Like, And so whenever mom tells me something, she's like, I want a sideboard <laughs> for the house. Like, don't tell your dad. So it kind of, it goes to an extreme. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I think that's where I get it from. I wonder mm. if that's part of an Asian upbringing because I see that in my family yeah. as well. It's, I think it's very much an eth- like ethnicity thing. Yeah, because mm-hmm. acts of service as the way to show love, right? Because coming from Asian families, I'm not sure yeah. if, if you guys experience this, but it's mm. not spoken and articulated, mm. but... You show it. You show it. Yeah. Mm. And that's the way. It's 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 being in service. It's feeding you. It's coming home and then packing you all this food to mm. take away and, and mm. all that stuff mm. as well. Do you, you see yes. the same? Yeah. yeah, exactly the same, yeah. My, my, my mum's way of showing... Her love is like, you know, cooking for us. And, mm. you know, my dad's way of showing love is like providing for us. Mm. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, resonate with that. Yeah. I'm curious to know if you find that that affects your relationships. Like if you mm. have been in a relationship with mm. somebody of not an ethnic background mm. and how that like affects the relationship. In what way do you think? Like the ways that you show love. So for an example, I just thinking of this in terms of, so my last relationship was with an American mm-hmm. um, and he never cooked for me. Mm-hmm. And my, I was talking to my counselor about this um, 
along with the many issues. But anyway, one of them was I was like, he never cooks. And for seven years, I just wanted somebody to cook for me mm. and to come home and there's a meal there or like wake up in the morning. I don't care if you pour cereal into a bowl, like yeah. just the act of doing it. And she said, you know, it sounds like you're nagging. Like it just sounds like you're like, oh, clean the house, oh, mm. cook. And mm. she's like, what, is it, what does it actually mean to you if mm. somebody cooks for you? And I realized it was love. Like, mm. And so, but I realized that not everybody shows it that yeah. way. And mm. not everybody, really, like I grew up with cooking for you is mm. love. Yeah, yeah. And I remember mom going out shopping, like yeah. not even anything important. She'd go out shopping and come home and dad cooks lunch. Mm. And he's like, I thought you might be hungry when you came home mm. from shopping. And mm. I was like, she just shopped. She didn't do anything. So it's just interesting. Do you think it's like, uh, because we were so exposed to that at such a young age and then you're in a rela relationship for X amount of time, um, you have the expectation of those things to happen. Yeah. And that's what the five love languages are for, right? To understand each other's love language. Yeah. Um, like for me and my partner, it's we come to understand that you have to communicate what you want. Like if we asked initially early on, it was like, how do I fill your tank? What things can I do to, you know, to make you feel loved, to help you feel loved. And it's just like them explaining it. And then you explaining how you show love as well. And if that doesn't um, fill their tank, it's like, oh, okay. So maybe I have to do something else. Like that communication is such yeah. a strong part of it, but also having the expectation from what we've seen it, can affect our relationships, I guess, in that way as well. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love the idea of having that conversation, yeah. which seems so simple. It is. Mm -hmm. But I imagine very few people have that conversation, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's like um, we, you were talking about having, it, what our parents show us is that unconditional love, right? Whereas some of us see as transactional love, like you, you got to do something and then yeah. I have to do something for you. Like I was telling mm -hmm. my partner, it's like, I do the things I do for you out of love. Like, you don't have to show that to me. You don't have to be like, oh, because you did this, I have to do this now. It's like, no, I'm doing this because this is how I show love. Mm -hmm. And I know because I know you love me, you're going to do something out of love as well. It's having that trust, mm. developing that trust. And it's so hard to develop that, that maturity and love to be like, I trust you enough that what, whatever I do will somehow come back to me. But it's having that belief it will, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Damn. I, I know. I'm like, I don't even know where to go from that because I'm just like still thinking in that moment. Um. Yeah. Well, let's go back to we were talking about vulnerability before. Um. That's not something that's really easy to to really express in our lives. But I find that we express vulnerability after certain struggles and suffering. Um. You know, if you guys are comfortable sharing, like, how are you guys able to understand, like, wow, being vulnerable makes me so open. Like, it relieves me. I love that we all look at Liam. Because <laughs> <laughs> we can see him thinking. Oh, yeah. thinking that nothing. It's like this bulb that goes off. That's a microwave. <laughs> Well, sharing vulnerability is always hard, mm. right? That's where you ask that question and we all froze. Well, mm. I froze. Mm. Did you mm. freeze? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Did you like, yeah. don't look at me, don't look at me, <laughs> right? That's and why I was you like, look at, at me. At me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and so it's 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 really hard and and when you go out to parties or you go meet people and you have that surface level connection like sometimes you want to dig more but sometimes you don't want to go into it because mm. also there is a time and place for yeah. things <laughs> but when you dig and you ask further questions and and you sometimes you protect yourself by not digging and, and not following and asking questions even though you're curious about people mm. and maybe by being selfish and not asking the question or, or thinking how they might react if you ask questions is not being vulnerable to yourself to start opening mm. conversations up potentially mm. but it's how do we create environments in our relationships yeah. with others to allow more vulnerability to take place mm. if that's what we want as yeah. well sometimes sometimes you have friends for certain purposes yeah. where you go out and all you do is run potentially i don't know <laughs> or you go out and you party and yeah. or... why'd you look at me for the running and over there for the party there's party over here <laughs> party in the back yeah that's that's why vulnerability is so hard to articulate but mm. andre you were talking earlier about brene brown i've not mm. read any of her work mm. but it's been mentioned so so many times like i see she is used as a resource for for a lot of people mm. do you can you share anything about her work at all i love her work i feel like a lot of people do because it's so relatable to the things that we're going through in life and I kind of I see vulnerability two different ways. So being vulnerable I think comes down to the reason you're being vulnerable, right? So there's a version where you share something with somebody to speed up connection. Mm. So if I'm like, "Oh, Lim, I haven't told anybody this before, but this happened to me as a trauma when I was growing up." That's speeding up connection. That's yeah. not being vulnerable. True. In my opinion, and mm. in psychologies. <laughs> um, and then I think there's the other side where you're genuinely sharing mm. because you, I don't know, there's a conversation flowing and you feel the urge to share something that you've gone through because mm. you want to connect with the person that you're speaking to in a way that they get to better understand you. And we all have chapters, right? Like I'm meeting you all add a chapter in your life but mm. i have no idea about the past chapters of what made you who you are mm. Mm. and i love that aspect of vulnerability like sharing stories to better understand not that those past experiences make you who you are per se but they did make you who you are today and yeah. why you respond to Absolutely. like maybe there's a reason you don't like buses you know and there's like something associated with the trauma of buses and so yeah i think it for me it comes down to why you're being vulnerable are mm. you trying to speed up a connection with somebody and make more friends yeah. or are you being vulnerable because you want to share information and you want people to be vulnerable with theirs yeah. mm. so i think i think there's a place for vulnerability mm. yeah, but with vulnerability and it's like the universe is a mirror of what you present to the world, right? So, Anzri, you're telling me, tell us about the love notes that you received <laughs> this morning. <laughs> well, this is like a random conversation <laughs> off track. 
Well, so I, I'm a person, I was saying to Liam, that now these days, and it took a bit of work to get there, but these days I yell out, I love you to people. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if you don't say it back. Yep. And I don't care if you don't love me back. Like that is not my business at all. Mm-hmm. But I want you to know that I love you. Mm-hmm. And I was saying there's, that there's so much of this like, I love you holds so much power for some reason. Like people are hesitant to say it. Mm-hmm. And I've been in situations where I've said it to a friend where I've said I love you and never got anything back. Like, which is fine. It's not the reason why I said it, but it makes you notice when people are hesitant to say it. Mm. And I am one of those people that I'm like, if I've met you and I've known you for two weeks, if I love you, I like, I know I love you. And so I'm <laughs> going to say I love you in two weeks. And I don't see anything wrong with that, like, or any issues with that. And I love, like, we were hanging out at Migrant getting coffee. And a friend of mine, um, she sent me a message mm-hmm. saying, good morning, just wanted to say I love you. Mm-hmm. And I love those messages. Mm-hmm. Like, And I realize I do that to people. I send people random messages like, P.S., I love oh, you. Yeah. And it just, I think that's a form of vulnerability. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Without knowing like what people will say in return. Mm-hmm. Text messages are easy because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, shit, it's sent, it's gone. Mm-hmm. But saying it to people is like... Mm. it's huge and mel does that too so mel who owns assembly she'll yell out like we'll go at the end of the run group we'll be walking off and she'll be going to a car i'm going in the other direction <laughs> and i'll be like i love you and she's like i love you <laughs> so it's just yeah i love when people are able to do that mm-hmm. without yeah. that fear yeah i guess it's something that you don't usually hear as well it's like Especially because uh, I'm probably talking about myself. I just met you, but I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess going back to like uh, my parents and stuff like that, mm. like it's not it's not a word that's said often. Mm. So um, I was wondering if the closer you are to someone. Because I'm thinking, because I can say that more easily to, like, say, for instance, Jasper or you, you guys here, compared to when I say it to my parents. Like, it's something that holds me back from saying it because, I don't know, I guess that, that thing you were talking about is whether you're going to receive it back. And if you don't receive it back, it hurts even more because it's your parents. Mm. So I wonder if there's, yeah. I think it's a yeah. cultural thing too, it's right? Because yeah. I remember when I was going to bed, like, mom would say, I love you. And my dad would come and say, I love you. And every time they would leave for work, they'd come and say bye to us and say, I love you. Mm-hmm. And my dad's not a big I love you person, mm-hmm. but he will say it. And that's just how we grew up. Mm-hmm. And they kind of drilled into us that you do not go to bed angry. You do not go to bed upset at somebody. You will make up, say, I love you, mm-hmm. and then go to bed. Mm-hmm. So I think a big part of it is cultural mm-hmm. and how you grow up. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually noticed with my parents, though, um, just... Before when we were kids, they didn't. They never said I love you, but now they're saying it more often. Like because I think, like I, I don't, I don't know where it came from. We just started. They just started like in text messages and things like that. Like oh, I hope you're okay. Love you. Mm. It's like ah, oh, yeah. first time. <laughs> it's a bit of a shock, but now they do it like more often. And I'm just like oh, it feels nice, you know. Could it like, be? I, I wonder how they're where they're getting that from, or where they're learning yeah. to be just more open. Could it be because they're get, yeah. getting older and it's like, mm. you know, their time, like time is, our time on earth isn't, mm. well, it's long, but it's not, it's ephemeral, right? It's, we don't know. But as yeah. we get older, 
so are they and then mm-hmm. that kind of declined so maybe it's mm-hmm. like maybe i didn't say enough when i was mm-hmm. when they were when younger, younger so yeah. now it's like the time mm-hmm. right? mm-hmm. i think the world is changing too like i yeah, think people are absolutely. more open about their struggles mm-hmm. and we see a lot more things now right like that one little sentence can change someone's day mm. and just me saying i love you to somebody that might change their whole day yeah. at a time maybe where they're feeling like nobody loves them or they don't mm. have anybody and all of a sudden you get this message saying i love you mm. Mm-hmm. and so i think people are recognizing that people are struggling yeah yeah the world is changing we there is a shift to becoming more heartfelt as well i feel and, and more conscious of yeah mental health and and not holding burdens onto ourself and and protecting others from our burdens but yeah that's sharing because when you share you might others might learn from you or they they'll come out of their burdens and then you you can kind of connect with the vulnerability in itself mm-hmm. and and that's how you develop deep connections and develop relationships of, of absolute substance rather than mm. running <laughs> or, or partying. <laughs> <laughs> running has so much stuff, substance. Anyway, going back to that, Anzara was talking about how vulnerability can be that quick connection to people, right? Um, my partner and I were having this conversation. She, she's brought up like, one thing she realizes a lot of her friends that were like best friends, they became friends because of trauma. And it was just mm-hmm. like, I, I look back, I was like, damn, like some, some of my friends that I was close with was because of trauma. And I was just saying like how it could be so toxic because the relationship you have could just be just talking about trauma. And then once a new conversation comes up, it's like, how do you, navigate that conversation because all you ever known was talk about your all the negative stuff and now i look at it in this new mindset where it's i don't want to it's not that i don't like people talking about their traumas it's just protecting myself and being like i understand you're going through that stuff but if that's all you talk about like i don't want to be in that place too right like a birds or a feather flock together the, the longer you're in that those friendships it'll rub off on you and can damage you so it's just reflecting on how you be vulnerable when and where to share it Mm -hmm. and if it's the right person you're sharing with and if it's the right purpose behind it you know Mm -hmm. um but yeah that was just a a thought i had based on Mm -hmm. that wait shaking your head i can see you that's a hard question that's it's it's there's so much there Mm. but you're talking about trauma and and look i I got to learn a little bit about your family history Anzari, Mm. just then as well and i can't explain it do you want to if if you do want to go into it it's the your indian heritage moving to fiji and and i guess that part of history there because Mm. my family are vietnamese refugees Mm. right so and I've explained this uh, on this podcast as well, that there are two generations of, of refugees. So escaping communism from the north of Vietnam to the south, that's leaving everything behind and, and escaping, right? And a second time with the war breaking out, my parents 
fleeing on boats to go to an unknown destination just to go away because there is no there's no present left there's no future there um, in the country and we see that a lot in Australia in terms of uh, refugees trying to come here for a better life from a lot of communities from from Africa escaping and like we see what walls in Syria um, people that have been oppressed from Afghanistan and Iran and now we're seeing that in Ukraine as well it uh, look I'm not sure where I'm, I'm going with this exactly but the the generational trauma that sits within us and and and, and all of us at, at some point in time because we've been affected by world walls like everywhere like Australia in itself have participated in wars and you might have Australian families with grandparents who had fought in in world wars as well and, and bringing that kind of trauma back and mm-hmm. being so closed off in in talking about feelings because when you do open that trauma it's it's shell shock it's PTSD and, and all that as well but I think we all feel it and we all recognize that there is an element of healing mm. in a way and our society is becoming more accepting of it yeah. because mm. when you accept it then you can move on and then you can tell everybody that you love them <laughs> <laughs> yell it out um i see it i don't so there's two different things so with the friendship thing i've had friends that i've met during really bad periods of my life but they're still in my life and it's amazing to have them in my life but i think Mm. the difference is that people either grow with you or they grow away from you And I think, oh, I love my own sentence. Ooh, yeah, I love yeah, it down. Yeah. <laughs> the other day I said to someone that I was hungry but not for food. And I was like, I love that. <laughs> my own sentence. Anyway, sorry. Um, being really humble right here. Um, so I think I think it depends on the people, like the type mm. of people. I remember, so my one of my best friends um, in Seattle, she was the first person I called when I f- found out my partner was cheating on me. Mm. And... There's a horrible, like, the the cheating is not your usual cheating story. But anyway, let's not go there. Um, and I called her. It was 10 p.m. her time, and I was like, I need to talk to somebody. And I didn't know who to call. I couldn't talk to my parents because it's just too raw of a conversation to have with my parents. Um, and we were both living at my parents at the time because we'd moved from Seattle. So anyway, I called my friend, and I was like, oh, my God. So I found out this happened, like, um, he's cheating on me and she just started laughing like hysterically mm. laughing and I started laughing and <laughs> there's not many people that can get away with that right like you tell your yeah. best friend your partner of seven years you're married is cheating on you and mm. they laugh I mean she was laughing at the how he cheated but that's besides the point oh, the yeah. point is that she laughed and it just liked like it almost like felt like somebody just lifted this weight mm. off my chest and I was crying and laughing and she was crying and laughing like and she's one of my closest friends like she so we snap every day you know snapchat yeah. um and we've been snapping for 600 uh, and something snapchat. days <laughs> <Snapchat. Nice> <laughs> yeah, she lives in Seattle and we can never figure out a way to talk yeah. like the time zone it just messes things up 
And I think that's a perfect example of people who either grow with you mm. and they know the things that they've gone through and there's this power in it. Mm. Like now when I talk to her about relationships and something that happened, she'd say, oh yeah, that makes sense because of what you went through. Mm. You know, like, mm. so I think there's a power in people that you meet during traumatic experiences in your life if they grow with you yes, and yeah. if they're not stagnant in that old energy mm. that you were used to be at. So I think you yes. either level up or you drop them down. Yeah. Like they're either gone. And friendships work in a tier system, right? Like this is psychology that you have people at the base who are your extended friends. Mm. And then uh, the tip gets smaller. You have mm. your closest friends at the top. Yeah. And mm. I think sometimes the people that are at the top are the ones that have grown with you. Yeah and have survived Ooh. things with you. Yeah. I know, I love this deep thing. It's a coffee, like, kicking in. <laughs> um, and then with the generational thing, like, that's something mm. that I'm working with with my counsellor because mm. I think you can break generational trauma. Like, I think you can break patterns. Yeah, sure. So in Indian culture, and this might be the same with other ethnicities, you don't get a divorce. Like, you struggle through that marriage even if you're being abused, whatever it is, you do not get a divorce. Like it's frowned upon. Mm. And I was the first person in my family to get a divorce, like generations mm. of relationships. Yeah. And my grandparents, I love my, and they were beautiful, always nice to us. But my granddad used to hit my grandma mm. when he was drunk. And in Fiji, that was like, shit happens. Mm. That's a marriage. That's a relationship. And so for me to get a divorce broke that pattern of trauma from progressing any further than me. Mm -hmm. And my parents did the same in the sense of like my dad's Muslim, my mom's Hindu. It's a big no-no for Muslims and Hindus to marry. That's true. Yeah. But they got married and so they brought their, like broke their trauma. So I think with generational trauma, somebody has to nip it mm. and then it doesn't progress any further. Mm. Does that mm. make sense? Mm. There has to be a rebel in the group. Yeah. yeah I love that. to think yeah. that I'm that rebel, mm. but I've never been a rebel. <laughs> like, I've always been such a goody two-shoes mm. and not wanting to, like, upset my parents or get in <laughs> trouble. But now I have this, like, urge to be a rebel. I'm like, mm. oh, I want to skinny dip and get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first for everything. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I find it interesting, mm. like, the things that get passed down mm. and who decides to break it. Yeah. Was that a struggle for you to decide to be that person to break that trouble? Oh, for sure. And I knew that it was nothing to do with me because I was more concerned about what other people were going to say. Mm. Like we'd just gotten married and everybody came to our wedding in Fiji. You mm. know, like invested mm. a lot of money to travel there. Yeah. And none of it had to do with my happiness. Mm. And my parents have always been amazing. So they were a great support in saying like, mm. you do it. Like if you... If you want to end it, you end it. Yeah. Mm. But it was hard to be the first person to do it. Mm. But it required a lot of therapy to get through it. Yeah. Mm. But it feels amazing now. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. right. I don't, like, I wouldn't not have had the expansion that I've had in three years had I stayed in that relationship. Mm. And sometimes it's hard to see it in that moment. And especially in that moment, like I went through, was going through a divorce, abusive relationship, mm. got cheated on, didn't have a job, didn't have money. Like, you know, that pocket where everything that could go wrong goes wrong. Mm. Yeah. But I think there's so much to learn from that moment if you choose to survive it. Yeah. 
like if you choose to progress from it mm. hindsight's twenty twenty. like you won't yeah. really see until it's like oh shit like everything brought me to this point mm. if those things didn't happen would i really be here like mm. all the the struggles and all the difficulties that you had to face but because you never gave up you kept on getting up mm. you kept on pushing yeah. on you reach that point it's like that realization like wow you know because of all those things yeah. it just i just happen to be here right now you know mm -hmm. and you'll never know once you get there sometimes it takes years yeah it takes time to finally have that realization because mm -hmm. dark tunnels are hard to get out of yeah. right mm -hmm. my sister and i call it and i think it's from a comedian but we call it the i'm gonna die moments <laughs> like when you're like i'm gonna die i'm gonna die and then you get out of it and you're like I wasn't gonna die yeah. like mm -hmm. it was fine mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah but in that moment it's like you get tunnel vision mm -hmm. like you don't yeah. see anything good because everything bad is happening yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so you for you to share your stories on that it's you've you've come to a level of comfort in your struggle mm -hmm. to be able to share this because it's 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 obviously not easy to do maybe in the past Right, and, and I guess thank you for sharing your stories yeah. with us thank also. You. Thank you. Really it's still not easy you, to yeah. do because it almost yeah. gets to the point of like, I never want to make anybody sound bad yeah. mm. or to make my ex sound bad. Like, mm. And it's just, yeah, it's a hard point of sharing yeah. where I have to be conscious of the things that I say mm. that doesn't blame somebody else or make someone else mm. sound like a bad person. Mm. So I don't think people are bad people. Unless you're, well, let's take that back. I think there's some bad people. But I think, like, generally speaking, most of humanity, people aren't bad. They just, they do terrible things, right? Like, I'm talking about whether you've hurt somebody, I'm not talking about in a global world scheme of things. Because if we're talking about global world leaders, then I think they're definitely terrible people in the world. <laughs> but just in terms of, like, day-to-day -day life, people make mistakes all the time. Yeah. And we all have right like mm. wishing that we could take things back yeah mm -hmm. and most people do mean well yeah, yeah. and mm. sometimes you don't realize what you're doing mm. yes. until mm -hmm. you come out of that state mm. yeah. and you've had time to reflect mm -hmm. there's yeah. so many times that i've said things that i'm like i wish i had not said that yeah because mm. i think once it's left your mouth like there's yeah. no rewind yeah. mm -hmm. i think you can learn a lot from regret the regrettable moments like if you didn't mm. take action, you wouldn't know how to learn from it, right? Mm. You'd be walking on eggshells the whole time. Whereas mm -hmm. if you do those mistakes, you can be like, ah, oh, okay. I know not to say that anymore. Yeah. I know not to do that. Maybe I can do it a different way. Mm. Right? So that comes know. with a sense of awareness as well, I yeah. guess. Because yeah. some people are sometimes will be oblivious to what they're <laughs> saying and like, oh, that was kind of offensive. <laughs> but it's not, it's not, yeah, it's not going to change. Yeah. But yeah. I'm amazed mm. that some people don't have that, like that moment mm. of like, oh shit, I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> that always astounds me. They're just still smiling. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that was me. <laughs> Everyone's built different, right? That's yeah. That's what makes us who we are. Human mm. beings are so unique. You know? So how do you develop that awareness? Mm. I guess it's someone actually telling, like, what do you call it? Sometimes it is pointing it out. Yeah. yeah, pointing it out and just having that, Hey, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because if you're oblivious to it, then it's never going to change. Like you don't have, yeah, yeah. 
I think it's a big part of growth too. Mm-hmm. Like the things that you go through. So mm-hmm. I remember um, I used to have this opinion of like people in abusive relationships. And I was like, I don't understand why you don't just leave. Like why are you still with that person that's mm-hmm. constantly abusing you? Mm-hmm. Until it happened to me. And I was like, this is how you do it. Like you just stay in it because yeah. you just keep mm-hmm. ignoring it. But I would not have had that judgmental perspective change had that not happened to me. Mm-hmm. And so I think a big part of awareness is just you growing. Mm. Yes. Yes. Mm. Safety. Got deep and real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Safety and comfortability into existing situations yeah. as well. And to break away, it's all right. Losing that. And it's that sunk cost as well because oh, you've yeah. already invested so much time and, and life and love into that previous relationship mm. potentially as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And um, another thing, another thing is that you're, you're always thinking about the other person or you're never self selfish for yourself. Like how's this going to affect my happiness? Mm. Oh, like you're always just thinking about, Oh, I'm going to, I want other people to be happy or what, what are they going to say about me if I do this, blah, blah, blah. You're never thinking about just your own happiness mm-hmm. sometimes. It's just, yeah, being selfless is important. Like, have, you have to take care of yourself. Why do you think it's so hard to, mm. for people to do that, to care about their own happiness? Mm. I think especially because we're now in this doing culture, yes. right? Yes, yeah. And it comes down to like, I, mean, I go to Insta a lot, but in terms of like posting what you're doing. Mm. And I do that. Like I'm totally guilty of it. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why I use it as an example. But I try to filter out what I'm sharing yeah. and the reason for the things that I'm sharing. And there's been many times where I've like deleted things because I'm like, that's just, that's just me boasting. That's not going to benefit anybody. Yeah. Mm. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> My brain just went, so what is your relationship to social media? I know you're very active on, on Instagram as well. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I figured out what I'm on there for and I figured out what I'm using it for. Yeah. And sometimes I deviate because I get pulled away onto the cool stuff when somebody mm. sends me free clothes and I'm like, oh, Mars, I'm going to post. And then I was like, no, I don't want to. Yeah. Why am I doing it? And the only reason I'm doing it is because everybody else is doing it and it's cool. And I want to be part of the cool gang. And so now I think I'm more conscious about it, about the things that I say yes and no to. Mm. Um, but now I use it as a platform for a few different things. So first of all, to talk more about neuroscience um, and to put that information out there True. in a way that's accessible for people. So. A lot of, so like with We Run West, I do a once a week, a neuroscience post. And I usually read a few different papers and I summarize the research article into a little tiny paragraph, which is a pain and it's so hard. (laughs) Um, But I love it. So for me, it's a way to share my knowledge because what's the point of having a knowledge that you're not going to share with people? Like it just defeats the purpose. Mm. Um, and then all my blood, sweat and tears of 10 years just goes to waste. <laughs> um, and so I see it as that, as like sharing of information, but I'm also a big supporter of like Aussie companies and Aussie labels and small businesses. And so I feel like a lot of the things that I post 
even though they're like, oh, she's eating another croissant the third time today. Like, it's not about the croissant. It's about the place that I got it from. And the fact that I think those people are amazing, you know? And I promote a lot of my friend's business. It's called Inro, uh, which is a sustainable clothing brand. So it's recycled rental clothing. So it's secondhand clothing. You get a box of six clothes. And you wear it for a month. And I love that idea. In a mm. consumer-driven world, wow. for somebody to think outside of the box, literally, <laughs> and to provide this. like So that's my thing. It's mm. like I love promoting these people that are doing cool things for the world mm-hmm. and highlighting them and helping them get their message out there rather than I'm going to share this outfit because it's pretty. Mm. And they gave it to you for free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's the community, not the product. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's what my Instagram is about now, Mm -hmm. is supporting other people and supporting my knowledge. Mm -hmm. So I'd imagine neuroscience is like a massive spectrum to (laughs) talk about. Like what is your your focus, especially, you know, in your studies or whatever you're doing? Um, How much time do we have? I was going to check. Okay. (laughs) It's almost one. Five to Um, one. Okay. I kind of, so I started in developmental neuroscience. So I, my PhD was on preterm birth. So babies that are born early and um, babies in particular that get apnea. So yeah. the cessation of breathing, they stop breathing. Um, and it happens commonly in preterm babies. So when that happens, they get injected with caffeine. Um, which a lot of people find fascinating. Yeah. That's how I love coffee so much. I know a lot about caffeine. Um, so my PhD was essentially on caffeine in the brain. And so the babies get injected with caffeine and it basically it stops their airways from clo- closing. So saves their life. Mm. But babies that are also born preterm, they can't breathe as well, so they go on ventilation. So caffeine kind of helps them come off the ventilation a lot quicker because ventilation induces lung damage as well. Oh, wow. So there's a whole bunch of different things. So my PhD was looking at how caffeine affects the brain. Yeah. And immature preterm brains um and then correlating to that to um, studies that are being done in humans where these kids are now 12 years of age and they're getting mris done to see how the caffeine's changed them but hasn't um but when i was doing that i started learning more about caffeine and parkinson's disease and how it's been implicated in parkinson's like helping people um either delay the onset or um affect their symptoms And so then I wanted to go switch the perspective from like developing brain to aging brain. Mm -hmm. And there was a person in particular in Seattle that I wanted to work with who's a really cool neuropathologist. Um, It's a bad idea working with him. He's Chinese and he never slept. He just worked. And yeah, we'd have meetings on Saturdays, like Saturdays at two o'clock. Neuropathologist. Yeah. So he's the person that... um, he basically walks in as a consultant, super smart, looks at a brain um, like under a microscope or whatever mm. or samples of it and basically says this person has Parkinson's, had Parkinson's, has Alzheimer's. Like he kind of does the that kind of thing. Um, and so his area of research was Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. So that's what I started working mm. on then was finding better ways to diagnose it early because right now people get diagnosed really late and by then their symptoms have already started and mm-hmm. it just gets worse. Um, and one of the ways to diagnose um, Alzheimer's is via spinal tap and not everybody wants to get a spinal like needle stuck mm-hmm. into your spine. Yeah. 
every mm. couple of weeks. So I was trying to find a way to diagnose it using blood. So that was kind of like my postdoc side of things. And then I got sick of asking the government for money. Mm. And I said, screw you. And I left. Is <laughs> 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 the short story yeah. version of it. Um, but I also don't think I would have survived in that world, mm. in the research world, wow. to be honest. Like I just didn't have the drive to to fight for funding, to come up with brand new research ideas, have it be knocked down. And mm. I think it takes a certain type of person who is incredibly talented to survive in that environment. And mm. I have friends who are still there and they're amazing scientists, but I just couldn't. It's not something that I could be. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So now I've kind of shifted. Now I work more in drug development, medical device development. Mm. Um, and I don't work on as as much neuro studies as I used to, okay. um, mm -hmm. mostly because COVID has taken over everything. Mm. But yeah, so I kind of I still have my um, feet in like the clinical science yeah. side of things, mm -hmm. but not my own research. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you had much experience with psychedelics? No, but I have a fascination of psych with psychedelics at the moment. But yeah. I feel like that's another um, hour conversation. But I, know, uh, I, know, yeah. I, I think longer than an hour. But yeah, I have a yeah a big interest in psychedelics, mm. just in terms of like where it's going at the moment, in terms of like, um, you know, working with depression Therapy and things and, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because go into personal experience, but yeah. Yeah, well, I can <laughs> explain first-hand experiences when you're talking about when you're in that feeling and you feel trapped, right? I've had that those moments on psychedelics, and it feels like you're gonna die. Hmm. It's it's set and setting. So where you're at and who you're with is hmm. is really important when you're consuming these substances and. It works really well when you're out in nature and in the, in the open because you feel the expansiveness of the environment around you. And so it's, it's I've been volunteering uh, for an organization called Harm Reduction Victoria and DanceWise for a couple of years now. And it's about taking care of patrons and punters at music festivals so mm. that they don't cause harm to themselves and others yeah. as well. Mm. And at festivals, no matter how prohibitive and illegal it is, people will find a way to do it, right? So I guess it's recognizing and understanding, all right, things are going to happen. So we will address the need of the market and take care of them in times of, of uh, struggle or, or when potential harm arises. But my experiences are when... You've taken these substances and it feels like you're going to die, right? Your mind is like closing in on you. You you spiral out of control in terms of some thoughts or maybe some problems that you're having. And you feel like it's all your fault. You are the center of this universe mm. and it's the lights are turning off and it's like, all right, game over. Bye-bye. You're out. And that's how it feels. But then you work through it and then you're like you struggle, maybe you surrender to this supposed death, right? And then you realize, hang on, that wasn't as bad as what I thought it was. Yeah. Hang on, oh, look, I made a mistake, but I can do this instead next time. Mm. And then the lights turn on. And then you start opening it up to the world again. And and you just feel this, this openness. 
-hmm. And that's one of the main reasons what's drawn me to yoga itself. When you're lying in Shavasana uh, at the end of a practice, mm. after a, a super sweaty practice where you've, you've done all these movements and, and you've really pushed your body to certain limits potentially, and then you're just lying there in, in absolute bliss. That's, that's the correlation I draw from, from psychedelics to yoga. And I don't do that much any su substances like that anymore because I've got this practice where I can draw on naturally, mm. where I can mm. just breathe and, and tap into what's, what's already there. And that's the concept of like practicing asana too, right? Like you end in Shavasana, which is corpse pose. And the intention is that you're like, that's the death. And then you're reborn at the end of the practice, which I think is pretty cool. Just all like a mind blow moment. Like, oh, yeah. Just trying to process everything. I got reborn. I was reborn today. I'm a new man. Wow, that's amazing, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not going to say if I had those experiences myself, but, uh, you know, like through other things. But From what I've heard. From what I've heard, from what I've heard through papers this and. book that I read. Yeah, this book that I read. Podcasts. Yeah, like, uh, I can, I see that, that, like, in those times when people use a substance, they feel like they're the center of the universe, right? Mm -hmm. And it's hard. It's, sometimes it's hard to get out of it, right? It's how. I don't know where I was going with this. I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> so with, I don't know if you've heard of this term. I only learned it recently from a friend who's a counselor, um, but he works a lot in the mental health field and he's looking at psychedelics. So he did a diploma. I don't want to get it wrong. But he looked into psychedelics and they do this thing of having a sitter. Mm, yeah. yes. And I love that way of doing it. Mm, like if you mm. want to experiment to have somebody that's going to be there for you, and I just, it makes things so much more accessible. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. in terms of people aren't going to do something ridiculous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You have somebody looking after you. Mm -hmm. But I love that you. concept. Pardon? It kind of grounds you as well. Like brings you back to yeah. the here and now. Like, because you can get so inside your head sometimes. That yeah. Sometimes you've been like, hey. Like, and it's scary not being able to be in control of your own brain. Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Exactly that. So I think that's, that's why I asked you the question because it's a growing field in, in mental health at the moment mm -hmm. because pharmaceuticals have been pushing these pills and, and antidepressants. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about that, but it's just consuming and popping mm -hmm. it all. And potentially psychedelics are a way to reset certain things that are happening. In well, here. I think there's a lot of things, right? Like I, and before I say this, I think there's a place for antidepressants. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I think that they're there for a reason, and I think people do need to take them. Mm -hmm. In saying that, I remember like when I was going through my terrible year. If I had seen a psychologist at that point, I would have been prescribed antidepressants. Yeah. And I'm not saying that this is what people should do. I only did this because of how my parents are and the things that they believe in and the things that they use. And I grew up, you know, with natural remedies and mm. things like that with things that my grandparents used. Mm. And when we'd get food poisoning, mum would be like, oh, it's the evil eye. You know, like that. I, that's what, how I grew up. Mm. And so 
at that point, instead of seeing a psychologist, I went to see a therapist that my mom was seeing when grandma passed away. And this therapist is a, she's a counselor and she's a kinesiologist, which mm. is science. So it's muscle testing. Um, but she's also on like the hippier side of things, which is like she channels and she works with energy and a realignment and past trauma, um, which is amazing. Like my science brain battles with this stuff. <laughs> And, but then some of the things she'll say, I'm like, how do you know that? Like, mm. how did you know my history without knowing anything about me? And so I think there's things that science just, it doesn't explain. But anyway, that's a different conversation. So I started seeing her. My mom was a master Reiki practitioner at a time. I started getting Reiki every day and I'd be sobbing every day, like crying every day, getting Reiki every day. And within six months, I was out of that headspace, maybe even less than six months. I think it was four months before I got a job. And it's amazing. Like, this was no drugs, no substance use, mm -hmm. no alcohol. Yeah. Like, I knew I needed to stay away from alcohol because that just makes everything worse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I just didn't drink, didn't take anything. All I did was go and see this counselor, which my mom would drive to go and see because she lives in Mornington. Mm -hmm. So mom would drive me to Mornington. Dad would pack me like dinner in a little container because he knows that I get hungry. <laughs> and that got me out of that space. And so I think, I think there is more now the shift of trying different things, yeah. of alternative things. And that's part of the reason why I did my Reiki course is to understand that separate aspect of it, like a different side. And I remember mum got offered this job at Peter Mac to give Reiki to cancer patients. Whoa. So I think there's a shift now in different modalities and different ways of treating. Mm -hmm. Tell us about slow. Reiki. What is... I don't want to butcher it. So <laughs> it's, it's a hard one, hey? It is a hard one. It's kind of something that, I don't know, mum describes it really well, but it's essentially a Japanese guy that kind of discovered that you can move energy through people mm. and you can work with other people's energy. So I don't, it's not really, you're not healing anybody. You're working with their energy to shift things and shift the things that they're holding onto. So mm. the training is like a three part, four part training course. Um, and essentially you get taught to work with the chakra system and work with energy and balancing out. Um, but then there's symbols as well that you can use and each of the symbols are um, Japanese characters and they stand for different things. Like whether you think somebody is fearful of something, you'd use that symbol, that kind of stuff. Um, my science brain still, I still fight it, like argue with it. But then there's just random things that happen that I can't mm. describe any other way. So like this morning, so now I do Reiki in the room before I start my classes. Oh. Um, and this morning after the flow class, it was the longest line at the toilets. Like people were waiting to go to the bathroom and I was like, what is going on? And then my mom was in the class in the morning and she was standing in the corner and she was like, and it's cause she knows that I did Reiki. And the, <laughs> the thing is that people believe that with Reiki, it's like a clearing. Mm. So you want to go to the toilet, like you want to pee because it's mm. like this, movement through mm. the body like clearing of the body and she knows that i did reiki in the room before the class and so all these people i'm like how do you explain that like no <laughs> there's never been a line in my classes all of a sudden i'm doing reiki and there's like <laughs> so it's just but it's fun to play around with like mm. i think it's fun to explore what your body is capable of doing and what your mind is capable of doing mm. that's amazing you don't need a scientist to tell you that mm. that's impossible 
because no one knows the power of your brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I find it fascinating. Mm. I find it funny that your mom was... I'm like, lady, I just do it for fun. Like, <laughs> like, does this stuff work? Let me check. So you're still mm. skeptical about it. Do you ever think you'll believe it? I... You know, I realized, I came to the realization that I, I don't have to believe it. Mm. And I think that science and like Eastern and Western medicine can exist together, that yeah, I don't absolutely. have to pick one or the yeah. other. Mm-hmm. And I think I come from that belief because Reiki has taken me out of a lot of dark places. Mm-hmm. And so always have this special place for me, regardless of whether some scientist said it's, yeah. it works or it doesn't. A lot of scientists laugh at, about it like, and make fun of it. Mm. Um, but I also know that my grandma's used so many things that have saved a lot of people in our families. Mm-hmm. And I think there'll always be a space for Western medicine. And I think it's needed. But I, I think that we really need to shift into a world where things coexist. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. It's, it's not just black and white. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. And one pill doesn't save everybody, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with these modalities. Like you wouldn't prescribe an antidepressant, the same antidepressant to everybody because everyone reacts differently. Mm. So why would you do the same for therapies? Mm. Yes. Anyway, it's a very, very passionate topic. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Fantastic. But how do you, you know, what if, how do you change that with other people? Because obviously not everyone has the same mindset Mm. as you. So it's like, how can you influence and inspire that? It's funny, like my sister and I are having this conversation as well. So she's in her final year of physiotherapy. And she was saying that one of her lecturers was making fun of Reiki. Like, oh, we're not going to just place our palms on people and heal them. You need to move them. And so I think that needs to go away. Mm. Like how people talk about it and how people bring down other people. Yeah. Mm. And I think there's a fine line between not believing in something but being respectful of it and i think if somebody tells you that reiki saved them who cares how it worked Mm -hmm. and there's such a like there's so much research now on belief effect right of the things that you believe you're able to do it Mm. and with placebo like it's the same thing it's just harnessing the power of your brain Mm. and so that's all i see reiki as is just you're tapping into this other potential that nothing else is allowing you to access. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing, like when we did the training, so we all did um, healing on the same person and we wrote down notes of what came up for us, the things that we resonated with. And we started going around the, in a circle and sharing and we had the same stuff, like wrote down the same stuff. So what explanation is yeah. there of, wow. like That's science crazy. can't explain that cool. mm-hmm. and you can't make that up. Yeah. Yeah. And so... So I still battle with it, but I've also come to realize that, you know what, it's fine to accept Mm. it. And there was a part of me that was always like I never wanted to tell people that I got Reiki from my mom or that mom does Reiki or that I did my Mm. level two Reiki course, you know, like Mm -hmm. as a scientist. Yeah, yeah. It's like I would lose integrity, but Mm. now I'm like, I just don't give a shit if you Mm. believe in it or not. Some things aren't meant to be known. Yeah. And I kind of like that. The mystery yeah. of it all and then the beauty of the mystery yeah. as well. And there's a power in it, I think. Uh, yeah. So my last question for you is 
You know so much about the brain, given your study of it. And if you were to share a couple of tidbits of information or tips or uses of the brain for just anybody out on the street, what, what would you mm. share with them from just Gosh. such a deep, deep, yeah. deep <laughs> neuroscience background? God, there's so many things. I think my big one for always is to never be stagnant with things. So like changing things up, right? Mm -hmm. Like whether that's you're going to a, using a different road to get to work, brushing your teeth with your left hand for a change, mm -hmm. like just anything different mm -hmm. that switches things up. So change is good for the brain. There's a, a, a place for routine to build habit because you need to continuously do something to build a habit. Yeah. But I think the most important thing is noticing the things that you do mindlessly mm. and the things that you do mindfully. So if you come to a yoga studio and you're picking the same spot every single time, what purpose is that serving? Mm. And so challenging your brain in a sense of like doing new things, learning new things, changing things up. Yeah. Like, and I think that's probably the, like there's so many different things, right? Like there's diet that plays a, a role in it. But I think adapting to different things and doing different things is a big one. And that's something that I do, mm. like constantly sh shifting out of your comfort zone. But in saying that, you have to be stable to shift out of your comfort zone. That's true. If you're mm. unstable, you're going to be a mess when you shift out of mm. that comfort zone. So using grounding tools like meditation, like breathing or breathing techniques, and then shifting out of the space because you don't it's just if you're stagnant in somewhere your brain's going to become stagnant the final word of wisdom final words of wisdom <laughs> a lot of wisdom has been shared a lot of wisdom yeah. <laughs> yeah. my brain's yeah, kind of fried honestly <laughs> <laughs> the past like, what, 20 minutes i was just like anybody got psilocybin <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is awesome. Though. Like, mm. I love the conversations we've been having. Like, we went from joking about Azara being a god to <laughs> <laughs> please edit that. Let's <laughs> <laughs> say in and really humanizing her with all the struggles and the deep stuff that, and she's been very vulnerable. And we thank you for that. Yes, um, it's never easy. Like mm -hmm. as Lim says, it's never easy to be vulnerable. So we really appreciate that so much. Um, just to wrap things up. Three questions we always end with. Um, three questions. So what are you grateful for? What have you realized? And what is a question you want to ask yourself or to the people listening? I'll let somebody else start. Liam. Oh, I've already answered it. <laughs> He's this already question. answered it. Oh, what? Yeah, it's all me. Yeah. Okay. What am I grateful for? Mm. Um, people, mm. just in general. Mm. Like being surrounded by people. Um, what was the second one? What have you realized? Um, I think a big one for me this year is that being kind doesn't mean you let people walk all over you. Mm. There's yeah. a difference. Yeah. Um, and then the final question. What's the question you want to ask yourself or the people listening? I think the question that I want to ask myself and something that I have been asking myself this year is what's 
what am I fearful of that's stopping me from expanding further? Mm. Love it. Mm. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Well, thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate you taking the time and appreciate you, Lim and Zara, for taking the time on a Saturday to be with us and allow mm. us to be in this space, especially Melissa from Assembly Yoga. Yes. And yeah, well, just a shout out to them. Make sure if you're in Footscray, uh, is there a website that they can go to to check out times and when they can come in to, you know, for sessions? There is a, yeah, there is a website. Mm. Um, I think it's Assembly, Assembly Studios. Yoga. Is there Assembly Studios? Yeah. We'll put the link. Idea. We'll put a graphic. <laughs> we'll put the link down below. We'll tag it in the description. Yeah. But we, yeah, we really appreciate the time you guys have taken. And as we always say, always take care, always stay safe, and always choose to get up. Peace. Okay. Oh,